because everyone senses that things are either going through the roof or that you're battling a bit. And, and to motivate employees in our workforce and, and all of your colleagues, you, you really need to be transparent. So transparency and communication is number one in all of this. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is uh, Thomas Ledefod. I'm CEO at Pixels and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi, and welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Joseph. A pleasure to be here, and thanks for the uh, invite to uh, to join your magnificent podcast. Oh, wow. Thank you for those words. How are you today? Um, fine. I'm in uh, Copenhagen, and today is, uh, is a great day in Copenhagen, and I got several of my fantastic colleagues here at the office, so uh, all good and ready for a new week, so uh, it's good. Nice. And then let's jump straight into it. First thing first, can you please tell the listeners what does your company Pixels do? Please do the elevator pitch. Pixels is a tech-enabled platform that allows companies to handle the assets used to run their e-commerce. That means that 95% of our customers are in the fashion industry. So they upload their assets uh, like um, images, uh, videos, uh, stuff like that. They upload it to that. We retouch it according to their standards. We turn it back and they use those assets for, you know, to run their e-commerce. So you could basically say we optimize uh, images, videos, etc., for e-commerce purposes. And if we pause at Pixels for a little while and turn the spotlights Truly towards you, Thomas. Who is Thomas? Yeah, who's Thomas? That's a, that's a good question. Um, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm based here in Copenhagen. Uh, turned 50 a year or two ago, the father of three, married to the same lady for a ton of years, living just in the outskirts of uh, Copenhagen. And I've been in the advertising, marketing, the Matic industry for the past like uh, 20, 25 odd years. To, to give it a little more context in relation to Pixels, I've had the pleasure of being a CEO for Pixels for approximately uh, almost six years. And um, I took over from one of the uh, original founders who made a management buyout of part of our business and is running that right now. So, um, yeah, so I've been with Pixels for uh, for six years and been been through the ups and downs with the COVID and everything else that, that uh, you know, the, the world has thrown at us for the, last, uh, for the last many years. Thank you, Thomas. And this means that it's time for five quick ones. And this, in this segment, you need to be quick. Literally, I will say a word and you, one sentence, one word, one sentence, and it needs to be quick. So are you ready? Um, I'm for it. Pictures. Make the world a more beautiful place. E-commerce. Sell, sell, sell. AI. Part of our backbone. B2B sales. Long and complex sales cycles. 
And the last one, summer. Beach and um, nice warm bike rides. Ah, that sounds great. We move on and we move into the segment of business development. Can you please tell me what are the top two to three ways you work with AI in your business today? Yes, this is actually a uh, super interesting topic, uh, Joseph, especially these days with everything that's going on right now and all the yes. stuff that's being thrown at us with uh, you know, open AI, DALI, mid-journey or whatever. But the fact is that um, pixels operate in a pretty unique way in the sense that um, if you look at us historically, what we do is retouching of images and that process of retouching of Im an image, we do not do that the traditional way. We chop that process into up into like 150, 180 different steps. And then we basically put those steps together to do retouching to a certain standard that's required by the customer. And some of these steps if you say we do, and we do around 40,000 images a day, and if we do one step twice, that then means that we generate 80,000 data sets on one specific step every single day. What we've then done over the last many years is we've started to automate these steps, both with I mean, different kinds of automation tools. Some of them are AI, but it's also algorithms, machine learning, etc., which means that 70% of our production of what we do is currently fully automated. So for Pixels, uh, we've been on the AI journey for a long time and for many years in order to, to, to actually work and have the, the internal value chain that we have today. So Pixels is, uh, yeah, we're, we're also looking at a lot of those uh, AI tools, but Pixels is a little special in the sense that 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 using AI and using AI to AI tools to to run our operation, like like seriously critical parts of our operation, has been at the core of Pixels for the last uh, four, five, six years. So AI is is nothing new to us. It is. Uh, it is, uh, it is a, a default thing of our operation and it is built into our whole system. You have touched into one, one segment or one way, I would, uh, I would say, if you're going to yes, quickly tell one or two more ways in a concrete, where, where do you see AI have a huge amount of impact at Pixels? AI is, for us, it drives certain SLAs that are super important for our customers. One is that AI uh, allows us to, uh, to produce at a, not only a high quality, but a consistent quality. So that's one thing. The other thing is that AI allows us, because it is automation, is pure machine power. So it, allow, it allows us to, to have a super fast turnaround time of the work we do. And thirdly, you know, we, we can basically adjust uh, capacity, just turning up the volume on our ABS, uh, which means that 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 um, that the deviations, fluctuations in volume, we, we handle that uh, super easy. So so in that way, we 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 the, you know the the benefits of having a very heavy and intense use of AI gives us certain advantages. Um, to, towards the customer. So, so AI is both used for optimization purposes internally, and it is used to, uh, you know, to, to, to 
take away some of that very uh, not so interesting, very repetitive work. So it's it it, it, it plays into to numerous different aspects of our company. Great, thank you for sharing. And uh, now I want to talk some KPIs. Which top KPIs are the most important for you, Thomas, and like at the management level of the company? And please also tell me the reason why you have chosen these top ones. I think we are at Pixels and the management team is we are we're super interested and pay a lot of attention on you could say some of those underlying KPIs that define if the business will, will actually do good. So in, instead of, for instance, just measuring a revenue thing or whatever, that, then we did we dig down and we look at NPS scores, we look at uh, net revenue retention rates, we look at churn rates, we look at uh, all that kind of stuff. So so we we basically have a set, we have we have a set of KPIs that 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 measures you could say top line and how that is developing, and then we have another set of KPIs that is more related to our internal efficiency and, and to a higher extent drives uh, the margins and the and the profit of the business. So that way we have split it out. And of course, something like net revenue retention, uh, churn rate, uh, closed one bookings, uh, you know, uh, pipeline contribution, those are super critical KPIs for us on the commercial side and the top line of the business. And when it comes to the more profit oriented um, then it's more, you know, how much revenue per hour do we generate um, when we when we handle images or other assets? It's uh, efficiency scores. It is uh, rejection rates. It is untimed delivery rates. It is things that are more related to 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 the actual delivery. If you should choose one, like the main product KPI, what would you say is the like North Star metrics within the product. For us, it is. Uh, it is. It is. I have to pick two because uh, it's one. It's untimed delivery rate, and it is a first-time approval rate. That means our ability to deliver the right product to the customer the first time. That is super critical to us and super critical to our customers. Makes sense. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, most of our customers are in the fashion industry. And, and time to site is just, I mean, from shot to site is just very critical for them. I mean, they do not sell any goods before the products are online, just like any other e-commerce business. So, so speed, 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 speed is critical. Talking about selling then and time to sell and speed, can you share some of your best practices uh, since you have been a CEO for long around building a go-to-market machine? I think... For us at Pixels currently, what we've learned is that when we're talking to enterprise customers, the biggest customers we have, our data shows us that we have a sales cycle that can be around a couple of years. So what is super, super important for us is that we have uh, a very, very close collaboration between our marketing and our sales to make sure that you know we all understand and are fully aligned on the customer journey to make sure that we get the right content at the right time and, and to make sure that everything is coordinated. Um, that is one of the very, very big um, learnings that we've had uh, the last couple of years. So in order to, we, we run activity-based marketing to a pretty, you know, very advanced and in order to do that, I mean, it is necessary with that very, very close relation uh, between sales and marketing. 
Another thing I think we we live by is that we don't get carried away by buzzwords. We look at what works, but we don't get carried away by chasing shiny objects. And we're not afraid of taking a step back, zoom out, and uh, kill some of our darlings if that's what it takes. And also, we uh, were very, very much about um, looking at, at the whole picture when it comes to marketing initiatives. So we do things that some might consider old-fashioned. I mean, we do events uh, where we actually get people together and we facilitate these events and we have 100, 150 people. We don't charge for it. We don't and so on and so forth. But it's uh, it for us, it works because it's a great uh, you know way for us to connect with some of the thought leaders and industry leaders in, in, in our business and to connect with, yeah, you know, across the board. So, so we do that. Uh, we do run a, quite a big variety of, uh, of marketing initiatives, initiatives. And then, like I said before, very, very, I mean, a super tight collaboration between sales and marketing. We got great advice here. If you look back regarding mistakes and your go-to-market strategy, what are the, the bigger mistakes or some of the mistakes you did there? Oh, um, we made a huge mistake uh, back. We did a huge uh, turnaround of the business in, in around 2020. And um, we believed back then that um, our, you could say, breakout channel or whatever we should call it, um, or easy path to very high growth would be small and mid-sized companies because the way our operation works, it is actually so that, you know, customers, they can log on to our platform and they are guided through a template-based system where they can then at the end start uploading their images and we will handle those images 100% according to their specifications. So it's actually super, super easy to use and you can do 100% self-onboarding and all of that stuff. So we thought... We need to go for that market. We basically need to be a, a pure player, an e-com player in our space. And we fueled online marketing like crazy. And we got fantastic traffic numbers. And we got a ton of new subscribers and all of that stuff. And we were cheering along and uh, we were popping champagne on a weekly basis because we broke records. And then all of a sudden, uh, we found out that um, churn increased like crazy. These smaller customers, they had a very, very uneven need for our services. So it turns out that when we really started getting in some data from that segment that we were chasing, we could get the customers. But from a financial perspective, it was an absolute disaster. So I remember that one meeting where we called in to, uh, to evaluate our go-to-market strategy. And it took us half an hour and we completely changed strategy. I mean, we pivoted in 30 minutes from, uh, you know, going for low, medium kind of companies with like, and then onto, I mean, pure enterprise play, basically. So that was that was an absolute mistake. 
that sounds uh, when you were in the storm side quite uh, very brutal but you 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 pulled it through in a good way well we we uh, we took our learnings um and, and were sometimes discussing uh, did we fail because not because the strategy was wrong but because we executed it in a wrong way right are we are we the fact that we're not chasing that segment today is that a mistake should we actually be doing it but then with a different strategy a different approach whatever but i mean every time we do it our conclusion is ah leave it be let's go for the <laughs> right. and since you have decided you're going fully enterprise uh, you have already tapped into a couple of channels the last question here within the business development segment talking about outreach what would you say is the best way not for me obviously now you're here but if i didn't know you uh, to do outreach to you as a person and you didn't know me how would you like to get approach that 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 that's a super good question joseph because uh, several people try that every single way exactly and and if you if you now tell me the, the you don't need to say the person or company but the, the ones that you have been really impressed like wow this i liked and it, they did like this what what was the modern and professional way i think when i respond to something then it is because from we reading those first two three lines i get a clear impression that they've actually done their research that they actually know what kind of company pixels is and that they have a pretty good idea of a pain point that we could have that they can solve i see so much cold outreach on linkedin email etc where it is hey uh, we have this uh, fantastic product uh we help a lot of companies uh, companies uh, with this and that and here's a link to my uh, calendar book half an hour please i'm like listen no it's never it's never going to happen <laughs> I, 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 it's it, that's not going to happen you 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 need to you need to put in an effort and i think also with our own uh, outreach joseph i mean we basically we do a very limited amount of cold calling uh we don't find it to be very efficient um and when we do outreach we 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 try to be very professional about it i hate cold unprofessional outreaches where i know i'm just part of a bucket of 10,000 emails or linkedin contacts i mean don't don't throw that at me please don't do that so what i heard is that in the first three lines show that the person have done clear research and then at the same time present a pain point that actually resonate with you thomas be relevant right be relevant and 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 if if you help me perform better i i might want to talk to you to a harder topic now what's the worst mistake you have ever made like ever in business that you feel that is behind you now and not too emotional so you actually can talk about it and help me avoid it I uh I previously had a job where I was in charge of doing uh running a certain business unit where we did uh, acquisitions and we also did uh mergers and I've once uh, been part of an acquisition where we actually probably the from a strategic perspective the most relevant and spot on merger I've ever been involved in 
uh, on paper, it looked phenomenal. When we then started executing, we actually ended up turning two fantastic companies into one poor company. And that took some years to handle. And it was because we missed out on the most important part of a merger. We missed out on the cultural and the value part of two organizations, which is an absolute beginner's mistake when you're talking uh, both you know, acquisitions and mergers and stuff like that. And uh, that, is, uh, that is something that we should have seen. Uh, it was an acquisition, it was a merger that should not have happened. And it took us, uh, probably took us uh, three years to clean it up, if you could say, and, um, and actually finally be able to, to, to write some of those um, uh, synergies and, uh, and advantages that we saw in the beginning. But but that that one thing is probably one of the uh, worst business endeavors I've ever been involved in, and maybe one of the most costly as well. I actually knew when you uh, um, when I heard where this story was going. I like I can bet ninety nine percent that he will gonna say culture or values or but they both now and, and ah yeah that can be so brutal and. Uh, and the crazy thing, I actually did an MBA uh, many years ago where I wrote uh, like my final paper on um, on uh, mergers and acquisitions and change management. And so, so if one should have known how to uh, both avoid this and to handle it, I was uh, I was the one. But uh, I think we were so uh, we were so focused on uh, on uh, the the fact that that the strategic aspect of things looked so exceptionally promising right that we kind of maybe we neglected uh, some of the things that that we we kind of noticed them but but we chose not to uh, pay the amount of attention to it that we clearly should have done and from my point of view the the like only true way to learn is to do mistakes yourself and costly mistakes. Mistakes you learn from, they're well earned, right? Uh, but mistakes you choose not to learn from, they're just uh, then you're just being plain uh, uh, ignorant, right? So uh, I hope I learned from that. Now it's time for a topic of your choice. You have now a couple of minutes to talk about something that you are truly nerdy about and feel passion for. That's the only framework. So I will sip it. And the floor is yours. The floor is mine. I think um, I, think I have a lot of uh, colleagues right now that are sitting around as managers in different companies. And I think the way uh, everything is going right now in like the international business environment, I think there's a lot of uh, companies that are struggling right now. So I think one of the things that I'm extremely, um, extremely passionate about, that is something as as uh, boring as doing change management. Because when you need to adapt your company to a new reality, then uh, maybe, uh, then many companies are going through, uh, you know, a different period of time or a period where they need to right size their organization. And to do that is, uh, that is actually at the core of change management. And it is a change process that is, you know, that has been um, that that is driven by external factors, so you can't really do anything about it. 
But the good thing about all the change that many companies go through right now is that they have they actually do have time to prepare it. It's not like they need to do it in a week or two. They actually have a month or two to prepare it. And I think I just heard someone tell me today that, uh, you know, crises are like a Formula One race. When uh, you do a Formula One race and it's uh, dry and the sun is out, it's super difficult, you know, to win and to gain positions in a race. But when the rain comes, all of a sudden you can go from first to last or last to first in a very short time. And handling that change, handling that rain, this is it's it's a big opportunity for companies that are actually capable of handling those changes in the best possible way to, to gain a lot of positions in the industry they're in. So, so, so right now, I think everyone should be Formula One drivers and, you know, in the rain. And in order to run a Formula One car in the rain, in the most optical way, optimal way, it is super important that everyone is involved, that everyone knows exactly what's going on, that you don't pit stop by purpose or that you don't do, I mean, everything needs to be 100% clearly communicated it needs to be everyone needs to be involved in order to 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 be engaged and so on and so forth and we need right now we're in a time of of you know of um, we're in a business environment that that really speaks to us as managers to be super transparent around what's going on to be to to really involve people and engage them and communicate about what's going on because if we do that we, we you know we can find a whole new level of motivation even though things might be a bit critical and we will find that then you will be the best ones at driving that Formula One car in the rain and I guarantee you there's super many companies out there that are that are seeing trouble right now. But if they approached it maybe with a little different mindset, they could see it as a rainy day on the Formula One track and take the opportunity to pass them all. Um, so so that's, uh, that's something that, that for me is super, super important now. That is to, to handle that, the, the rain that we're seeing and, and to handle that change process that many companies are going through and, and and to be able to you know maybe hold back on costs in the right way in order to get the right platform for you know when the sunny day comes out um because to to be uh, you know not a hundred percent competitive or still battling with thing and then the rain comes and then you come out of the rain and you're the last start something and anybody that's listening to this right now first of all super powerful i i like when you talked i like just wow where should a leader that listen to this start if if they gonna prepare for the for the race where where is the first thing for them to start after listening to this oh that's a good question and another thing is you have listeners of this podcast i believe mainly in europe uh correct right you motivate most european workforces by involving them and being transparent and by bringing them into you know say how can we actually solve this and and by being super 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 transparent i think many many ceos or c level people out there now they're thinking uh who it was super fun to be uh transparent uh when things were good but now it's not so nice that might be true, but it is even more important to be transparent when things are not going well compared to when they're just 
you know, going through the roof because everyone senses that things are either going through the roof or that you're battling a bit. And, 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 and to motivate employees in our workforce and, and all of your colleagues, you, you really need to be transparent. So transparency and communication is number one in all of this. Do not be afraid to tell it how it is. Do not, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't uh, peck away the bad things. Don't put them in the, because everyone will know it anyways, right? And if you don't communicate it, you know, you can't control it. Then it'll just be traveling through the grapevine. You do not want that. Approach it up front. And then you need to plan any, do never go into a change management process without thinking through where are we now? Where do we want to be? How do we want to get through this? And then break it down and make sure that you have, you know, all those different bits and pieces planned for when you initiate your uh, your change process. Because if, if you don't do that, then it will seem like you are, you know, that, that you're driving, uh, that you're driving while you're, you know, putting down tarmac and you basically need to know and of course, you always need to be to adjust things, right? But you basically need to be to, to have a very, very firm direction of where you're going. So, so, so that's one thing. But B, that's at least my experience, and it was when I did I did a pretty back when I did that MBA, I did a pretty thorough research on this. Also, to keep an agile and incremental mindset towards strategy planning is super important when you go through train uh, change management processes, especially if you run a knowledge-based company where your main um, asset is basically the employees you have. It's a different thing if you run a company with uh, uh, 150 oil rigs around the world, right? And everyone uh, you've been bought with huge investments, then you need to think differently. But but the companies that that, that we run and most uh, SaaS companies are, you know, be incremental in your thinking, be agile. Thank you. And now we need to move on because we don't have so much time left. Now it's time for an external question. Today we will have Beatrice Balchevsky from Hypertype. And this is her question. Hi, Thomas. What factors do you consider when deciding between building your own AI models in-house that you train or utilizing open source options? Thank you so much. Um, that is a super good question. And I have some uh, really, really, really talented people that could probably give a much more um, competent answer to that. But I'd say, um, I would say we do both. We use open source uh, and we use and we build our own. You could say uh, a lot of the things, I would say by far uh, the biggest part of the AI that we're currently using and have implemented in our system is our own. But, it, but it's a very modular system. So sometimes we've, we, we've automated a part of the process and then we can actually go out and find a similar tool that'll do, you could say, the same thing. And then we'll benchmark our own tool up against some other tools. And then we will use basically whatever uh, delivers the best result. Most often, it I would say uh, the vast majority of those situations, our own uh, AI models perform a lot better than what we see out there. But that is, of course, because our models, they're trained very, very specific yes. on the images that we do and on the data sets that we have. And they've been trained over years and years. So so it is, it's just 
super hard to compete with. Um, but it's but it's not like we have any uh, policies or we have uh, you know whatever ar- around if we do only one or the other. Um, we, we do it all and we do both and um, and we evaluate both up against each other and we have no we have no sacred uh, sacred things. You know we will kill our darlings if that's if 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 we can do that and get a better result. Great input. And Beatrice, thank you for the question. Yeah, thanks, Beatrice. And we are entering the roundup. Uh, and the first thing in the roundup, if you would give yourself, when you were younger CEO, top one to three things that you now know that you didn't know, what will you tell yourself? I would say, uh, you know, when making big decisions, take it easy, my friend. Think it all once or twice. Uh, that kind of bullish uh, nature that you have sometimes relax, sit in the background, you know, ask others, let others be heard. And um, I think, I actually think those are the two, uh, you know, most important things. From a strategic perspective, now I don't care much about what competition does because, you know, the world is so big. Back in the days, I did a lot of uh, competitor analysis. I don't care so much about that anymore. <laughs> Amazing. And the very last question then, looking truly just at pixels, where will pixels be in five years? In five years, pixels will be a, uh, a platform that enables uh, companies to uh, work with all assets necessary to run their e-commerce, regarding of it, uh, what, what kind of asset it will be. Um, so it will be the platform where, uh, so it will be the on-demand go-to platform for handling assets to be used for e-commerce. That's where we're going. And I wish you the best of luck with that, Thomas. And now I'm quickly shifting the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, tell a friend or a colleague to listen to Thomas in B2B SaaS CEOs if you got value. And number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Thomas, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me to keep on learning. Yes, I-